0: Hello and welcome to the program, Woke Up, and we have an incredible guest today, one of the leading feminist voices uh, over the last uh, decade and a half from Canada, a woman who has written extensively, a woman who studied in uh, gender studies and and, and, uh, feminist ideology, a woman that has helped on so many levels and has been absolutely brutalized the last uh, five, six, seven years by the creep into the feminist movement, the work that's helped so many people in has been, has been an ide- ideological takeover. And, uh, you know, we're going to see this video clip in, uh, Toronto and we're here with, uh, Megan, uh, Megan Murphy, uh, Megan, uh, maybe you can explain what we're seeing here in this uh, video clip in Toronto that you were, that you were going to give a presentation.
1: So, What happened in Toronto was I was asked to give a talk by a a feminist group over there about the conflict between gender identity ideology and women's rights. Um, They booked a space at the Toronto Public Library and all hell broke loose (laughs) because apparently the the Toronto Public Library is no longer a public place. Uh, It's no longer a place for free expression and free speech. It's owned by the elite Toronto Progressives. So, I mean, the the left in Canada has been after me for a long time. Um, but you know, this was above and beyond. There was a petition started to try to force the the library to pull to cancel the booking. Um the head librarian refused to her credit, Vickery Bells, um, or Bowles, I think I said her name wrong. Um she stood firm and said, you know, really hardly anything about me and my talk, which is as it should be, but said, you know, we defend the, the mandate of the library, which is to support free expression. And like something like 700 protesters showed up. Um, this was like a relatively small venue. So there was a max of a hundred seats. So my talk was relatively small. It was, you know, really heavily focused just on women's rights, what women's sex-based rights are. um, My feminist critique of gender identity ideology and the cops had to block off the entire block behind the library just so I could get in safely. I had my own private security. the the cops had to escort attendees in and out of the library and protect them from, from the mob who were hurling horrific insults and threats. Um and at some point I believe they managed to get inside the the library and refused to leave and kind of held them hostage <laughs> in a way. Um were, were you were you
0: scared? Was it was Yeah,
1: it- I was really scared because oh, the mayor
0: the mayor had supported the protesters right and was mad yeah. that you, that the mayor of the city was of the biggest city in in, in Canada was angry that you were even allowed to, to to speak your mind
1: yeah the the mayor took the the side of the protesters and you know suggested that i was essentially guilty of hate speech and um i mean Yeah, I mean, it's always really scary when I give a talk anywhere because every time I've given a talk, there's protesters, there's death threats, um, and these people are totally unhinged and entitled, and they seem very clearly to have no idea what it is that I stand for, what I'm there to actually speak about. I mean, they're talking about hate speech. You know, there's no hate speech in anything that I say um but yeah i mean at the end of the talk i was supposed to give media interviews and the cops wouldn't let me the cops were scared like the cops came in after i was done my talk and were really freaked out and they're like you gotta go you gotta go we gotta get you out now no media interviews we gotta get you out now because they just were worried things were getting amped up and amped up and amped up um so they escorted me at the back they wanted to cover me up with a blanket which i refused because i don't I don't want to be that afraid that I need to hide. Um, But they did manage to protect me and get me out safely. Um,
0: And what were they? Was this before you were canceled from Twitter or was this uh, during? No, this
1: was after. So I was permanently banned from Twitter in November 2018. Um, This talk was in 2019 in in Toronto. Um, But yeah, I, I had been banned from Twitter in 2018 for essentially misgendering for referring to a man as he and for saying that men aren't women. Um, And I appealed over and over and over again. Um, We obviously tried to sue. We lost the case. Um, Essentially what, what was discovered after Elon took over and, and via the Twitter files was that behind the scenes, staff were just banning people who didn't support or go along with Democrat slash progressive political narratives. You know, there was no rhyme or reason. I didn't, I didn't actually break a rule. You know, I got an email that said, you're permanently suspended on account of hateful conduct. They didn't even cite a rule. They, they sh- showed me the tweets. You're banned because of these tweets. But they didn't actually say what rule I broke. Um, I only, you know, I can ascertain that it's this misgendering thing because of the tweets that I just referenced. But also because like something like an hour after I was banned and I got this email on a Friday night, I was out at the bar. It was like 11 p.m. and I look at my email and I'm like, what the fuck? And um, about an hour after that, Pink News, which is this, LGBTQ blah 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 publication published an article mysteriously announcing this new rule at Twitter banning misgendering, um, which, you know, it, it did seem like very funny timing. Um but yeah, nobody there ever explained to me what happened. They never told me what I did wrong. Um Vijaya uh whatever her name is, the the previous head of safety at Twitter. Went on Rogan and and told him that I had been warned a number of times and I'd been harassing trans people, which is a total lie. Um, nobody, if you know, if somebody had said, you know, this is a rule, you're not allowed to call a man he uh if he doesn't want to be called he then maybe i would have found a way to avoid that maybe not but either way i wasn't warned of anything it was totally arbitrary they didn't like my criticisms of gender identity ideology they didn't like my politics they didn't like that i was getting support and traction on their platform so they just got rid of me
0: now you've always been on the left you've never been a conservative you've never voted for conservative you've always been a feminist and this particular character was a biological man who would uh, bait uh, spas in the Vancouver area and uh, want the, the, the attendants to give uh, him a Brazilian wax. And some of them complied and others said, well, we're not going to do that. And they, and, and then you referred to him as uh, the biological male, just by saying him, he, uh, and then you were banned from Twitter for life as a result of this guy, who's obviously a rabble rouser and a problem, you know, just trying to cause problems because he sued these spas and these females at, didn't want to do that. Didn't feel comfortable because they weren't trained in that. And you—that's all you did, right? You weren't mocking him or anything. You weren't uh, uh, swearing at him or anything. You just re- used the wrong pronoun. Is that? Is yeah. Right?
1: They—the tweet that they cited was literally just, "Yeah, it's him," because um, I had figured out how who he was via a, a blog post that somebody had written about him, and they'd found a bunch of his online reviews his social media things like that which it's all his face on twitter and his social media and everywhere was the same there was no attempt at womanhood um in most of his social media he was still referring to himself as he some places as she and he um so you know it's not like anybody nobody would think this guy was a woman (laughs) you know and he'd he was a a grifter. I mean, his whole shtick was to go around to businesses and try to entrap them into paying him out or giving him free stuff. You know, uh, my pizza showed up and all the toppings had fallen off. You owe me free pizzas for life, like this kind of thing. And it was, he. you know, he's a, obviously a mentally ill guy. There was some pretty predatorial messages discovered on social media between himself and minors girls um i mean this guy was a a creep and a dangerous guy and a phony and a grifter and most of the women that he was he was contacting asking them for brazilian bikini waxes were women who were um not from canada you know english as a second language immigrants and often working out of their homes so of course they don't want some man never mind some obviously weird guy who's pretending to be a woman but clearly isn't a woman naked in their houses you know these are vulnerable women and he targeted these women on purpose because he knew that they would feel vulnerable and be freaked out and when he would threaten to sue and say oh you're transphobic uh pay me out that a lot of them would and some of them did um, and the rest of them, he took to court.
0: Yeah. And you also had, uh, a certain run-ins with, uh, the, the laws in Canada in terms of, uh, criminalizing or at least, uh, civil penalties for misgendering. And you spoke at the Senate and, uh, just because they put that in the human rights code that if you misgender somebody that could be illegal, Could you explain to that from a, an American perspective and how you and Jordan Peterson were the two most outspoken critics and maybe that helped laid the foundation about why you were so targeted by the left.
1: Yeah. So in 2016, um, the Liberal Party, Justin Trudeau's Liberal Party, um, introduced a bill called Bill C-16 that would include gender identity in the Human Rights Code and the Criminal Code and would make essentially trans-identified people a protected category under the law. I immediately saw this as a potential conflict between women's rights um, because of course, if, if a man is a woman or there's no such thing as a woman, if we no longer have a definition for a woman, we can't protect women's rights. And I predicted that it would allow men to access women's spaces, which of course is exactly what happened. Um, that, that bill passed in 2017, just before it passed, I went to the Senate alongside Jordan Peterson um, and said, you know, I'm, I explained my concerns about the impact on, on women and girls, the impact on women's rights. And I also described the ways in which this ideology, this gender, this whole idea of gender identity was incredibly sexist. You know, women are not what they wear i'm not a woman because i have long hair i'm not a woman because i like to wear dresses i don't really like to wear dresses (laughs) like most of the time i'm wearing like dirty sneakers and some like big muscle tank top um
0: even going back to your childhood you were very gender non-conforming based on the way you you wrote and the things that you were developing you you didn't like the sociological uh, conscripts for what uh what what defined a woman and that was part of how in your idealist idealism uh, you took on the feminist cause and did so many great things. You have this, uh, what's the name of your, it's feminist current, the leading. Feminist
1: current. Yeah. Yeah. So I founded, I founded feminist current in 2012 um, and have been at it ever since really almost totally on my own. You know, there's been, there's been tons and tons and tons of women who have contributed over the years um, I thought of it as a space to, um, and a platform for women's voices, but particularly women's voices that would normally be silenced or, you know, women who wouldn't have access to a platform anywhere else. You know, most of the women that wrote for Feminist Current that I published there that I would edit and, and help publish were women who'd never published anywhere else before, um, they're not professionals. They have no social, political, financial power out in the world. Um, and, I, you know, what I was doing was something that nobody else was doing, not only in Canada, but around the world. You know, my feminism was critical of mainstream feminism, right? Like I was I was so certain that I was a feminist, but I was like, what is this that I'm seeing? What I'm seeing in third wave feminism is nonsense, it's nonsense, and I and I thought it was really anti-woman. So there, and there was nowhere else really to publish that kind of stuff. There, I was a leftist, I was a socialist. There was nobody on the left, and hardly anybody in feminism who was putting forth the kinds of views and analysis and, and critiques that I was, and that the, the the women that I was platforming were either.
0: Yeah, in the, a recent. Uh, uh philosophical journal, you actually said that your definition for the idealistic feminine world is liberating women from the patriarchy, male violence against women. Uh, This, this was what you were outspoken. You were an outspoken leftist. You were on the left. So people that think, Oh, that this is a a right show or you're on the right. No, you were on the left. You were anti-patriarchy. You were empowering women. You, you were uh, a socialist as you self-identify. But something happened, and you the work that you had given your life, and here, Megan, here's where, where it fascinates me, and this is why I'm so charged up myself about us standing up. The wokeism, this thing, this critical social justice of putting everybody into a box with the oppressor-oppressed dialectic, the victim, uh, victimology that goes along with it. What this virus does, it doesn't matter if it's a church, the feminist movement, a government, a country, a family, a school, and a, a university. It seeks to take over. It's a virus that works in to any institutional structure and wants to take control and power. And uh, they, they have two goals. Is, is, is Number one is just take over. And they don't care if it kills the institution because then they won. Or if they take it over, they still won. And so you saw your life's work basically going up in smoke. You spending your life, your education, your, your empowering women, focused on helping women be empowered, helping women to be set free, helping women to achieve. You gave your entire life's energy to this. And then this whole ideology creeped in Creeped in and worked people against you in a divisive and destructive manner, and just tore the whole thing apart and tore you apart. Came after you personally, emotionally. The things that have been written about you, the things that you have suffered as human being, sacrificing your entire life, and and, and this, this stuff is just wrong, you know. And and we need to stand up against these people, uh, this small amount of people that are that are creating such chaos. And and I'm so glad you came on the show because I'm a right leaning conservative, but it's so fascinating to me to to listen to your story about how you lost your life's work or how you how you were transformed and the suffering that you did just uh, sacrificing to help women and help uh, stop the erasure of women and to stop this ideology from harming women who you're giving your life to. And now you're the bad person. You're the hater. You're the evil one that needs to be canceled. No, I'm sorry. You're a hero in my eyes, and I'm really proud of you. And and so I want you to talk a, a little bit about our audience, about why, why you've taken a stand and what you see has been happening over the last five, six years in, in, about the erasure of women and how this is really a, a, a regressive ideology. It's not progressive at all. It's destructive. And so I'd like you to just open up and share your heart about uh, what you see happening uh, in feminism, what you experience and why this virus needs to be uh, be stood up against by all of us.
1: Yeah, I mean, when I was growing up in the 90s, um, in the late 80s, it was cool to be a tomboy. And, you know, when I was a kid, I hated feminine stuff. Like I hated pink and I didn't want to go to ballet class and I didn't want to wear frilly dresses. I wanted to wear like boy clothes. I wanted to play with the boys. I wanted to have adventures um And, and that was fine. You know, I came from a really leftist household. My mother was a feminist and that kind of stuff was totally supported. And, you know, as, as I got older, third wave feminism took hold. And third wave feminism was really, to my mind, very individualistic, um, very into consumerism. It was selling these ideas to young women around empowerment that were really not very empowering at all, namely that things like prostitution and pornography could be empowering, that if you choose to self-objectify, then this can be empowering. And, you know, those were some of the first ideas that I really was critical of. When I first started writing about and speaking out publicly about feminism. And even during, you know, I did a I did a BA in women's studies and a master's degree in gender sexuality and women's studies. And I was usually almost the only one or one of the only ones in my seminars who would question these ideas. Um, and certainly no one in, in the blogging world or in any, you know, feminist magazines in the US, um, people were not talking about this stuff. So I was sort of immediately an outcast. Um, and you know, I, my interest in feminism was primarily about violence against women. Like most of the stuff that I was talking about was like domestic violence and, um, the violence that happens in prostitution and porn, which is horrific. Like those industries are horrific. There is so much violence, so much misogyny, so much racism, which you would think the woke, who do nothing but talk about supposed racism out in the world, would care that you know pornography sexualizes racism and turns abuse that's specifically racist to be (laughs) into this like sexy thing. and then, and then this this trans thing came along. Yeah, I mean, it was a, a really strange thing to start to hear from from leftists and feminists that prostitution and pornography and objectification were all of a sudden not harmful to women. you know, all of a sudden these were feminist things. they were these were places of empowerment. I mean, and I just know, I don't think you even need. And you don't need some kind of specific education to be able to just look at pornography and think about the idea of prostitution where a man is paying a woman or very often a girl, you know, so many so-called women in the industry are underage um, or, you know, they started out underage, you know, like every prostituted woman I've ever spoken to, you know, I know a lot of women who, who've who exited prostitution and become activists and things like that. Um, and I've talked to women who are in prostitution still and escorting and things like that. Um, pretty much all of them started when they were underage um, or were you know, and most of them were molested when they were girls. Most of them, if you talk to them, I, I I don't think I've talked to a single one where there wasn't some form of sexual abuse or molestation that was happening um, when they were kids or teenagers. Um, and I think that that says something. And, you know, just just the idea, just the idea that somebody would be paying you for sex should tell you that the person being paid doesn't want to do that because if you want to have sex with somebody, you just do it. We all know that. The simple idea of somebody paying somebody else for sex should signal that this is, uh, you know, (laughs) an exploitative, it's a transaction, but I was going to say like an exploitative scenario. Of course, it's a transaction. I mean, as we know, if if somebody wants to have sex with another person, they don't, they, they do it. They don't say, you know, like, well, I don't want to. And then the other person says, well, would you do it if I gave you 50 bucks? And then the other person thinks, well, gosh, like I really need to pay my rent or, you know, a lot of these people are addicts. There's a lot of addiction happening in these kind of scenarios. Like I really need to buy my drugs tonight. So, okay, fine, I'll do it. I mean, first of all, Who wants to have sex with somebody who doesn't want to have sex with them? Like a man who's paying for sex is a bad man as far as I'm concerned. He knows she doesn't want to be there, but he's coercing her and doing it anyway. This is a a bad person without a conscience who's obviously being incredibly selfish. But having sex like as a woman, having sex when you don't want to um, with somebody that you find gross, um, that you don't want to be there with it is a traumatic experience. Like, yes, maybe like you'll live, but you do have to sort of take your, you have to separate mind and body to be able to get through that kind of thing. And that's what you do when you're in traumatic situations. You know, people who have been uh, really seriously abused for a long time, for example are often quite disconnected um, because, and they'll describe it, you know, you, you don't, again, you don't necessarily need any kind of education to know this. You just listen to people talk who've been in these traumatic situations, or for example, who've been in prostitution and they talk about having to kind of leave their body. Um, and all the women that I've spoken to who've been in prostitution and porn say, you know, I hated sex. Not only did I hate sex with these men, but I just grew to hate sex in general. I had no sex drive. I didn't want to have sex. I didn't even want to be in a relationship with anybody. Um, You know, and their stories are even more horrific than that. You know, the violence and abuse that women suffer in the sex industry is horrific. I suppose in about, you know, 2011 or 2012, is when I really started paying attention to and getting involved in the trans debate. And this was because um, I in Vancouver was doing a lot of work with, and allied with an organization called Vancouver Rape, um, Vancouver Rape Relief and Women's Shelter. So they had a rape crisis line and a transition house for women escaping abuse that they had been running in Vancouver, for many decades, um, I think since the late 70s. And they had gone through this very long drawn out court case with a so called trans woman. Um, because at some point in the 90s, this man named Kimberly, Kimberly Nixon had showed up at one of their training sessions for counselors um, who work in the transition house and on the rape crisis line. And the women there said, sorry, you know, there's only women. We only have female staff. We only have females in the collective. They were collective run. Um, And all of our volunteers are women. This is a woman only space. This is a space for women escaping really serious abuse and trauma. Um And Kimberly Nixon sued for Um, She took them to court. This is, you know, these are women who built this transition house from the ground up. Um, They did all of the fundraising. They had been struggling to survive for years and years and years just to support women, just to support, you know, really some of the most marginalized women in the city um, and women who'd, who'd suffered enormously. And in the end, they won the case. Um, They won the right to define their own membership. Um, And it, but it, it stuck with them forever. So they were constantly being harassed. They were constantly being protested. They were constantly being slandered and accused of transphobia. And they're just trying to do their work. I mean, the idea that these yeah. activists would go after, of all people and of all places, a mostly volunteer-run transition house and rape crisis line is disgusting. You know, these are not the people. These are not the targets. Like these are not the enemy. These are women helping women, and there's so few places that exist like this in Canada. Um, and so, and I, I was, I was defensive of them, and you know, I, and so I, I interviewed these women about this court case. I interviewed them about why women only space was important in these specific contexts, and that's how I got involved in the trans debate. and And it really blew up only after about 2015, and then. Even more so, of course, as this legislation was passed in around
0: 2016-2017. So you saw it, you saw this coming in, and you saw the result of the what the impact of the legislation would start to happen, and uh, and and that's part of what's happened in feminism is is you say that you no longer define yourself as a feminist, and so that must pain you. I mean, you have this newsletter, you're a well-known spokesperson, you you're fighting for uh, for women's rights, but now you say I no longer define it myself as a feminist. And so could you explain like why you no longer define yourself as what you've always defined yourself as?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's partly because I, at a certain point, you know, in around the time that I was banned from Twitter, I had also begun to start questioning leftist ideology and kind of feminist doctrine or dogma, as you call it. Um, I, did not like the the virtue signaling the you have to adhere to these certain mantras and politics if you want to be part of this club. Um, I saw a real opposition to free speech, which I didn't like. Um, And I saw that. A lot of feminists, even the feminists who were being targeted over trans politics and, and referred to as, as TERFs because they were standing up for women's rights and material reality and biological reality. These women were still engaged in, in cancel culture. Um, If you weren't, you know, left enough, essentially, if you weren't accepting of, of all the correct dogma and Mm -hmm. mantras and, I just i really wanted to be independent you know i didn't i don't i don't want to be attached to an ideology and i started to question things that i had been saying and things that i had believed for a long time and a lot of that actually had to do um with the uh you know when when trump won the election um because i didn't understand how that happened And once I started to look into it and I did start to understand and I started to understand what really went down with the Clinton campaign and how, you know, really like regular working class Americans were being vilified because they didn't support elite Democrat politics. Um, I started to, you know, I started to question so many of my beliefs, and I didn't have much respect left for the left as it was because of the way they treated me and so many other people. Um, and so it didn't it didn't make me sad to stop identifying as a feminist. I I I think that I clearly am a feminist, but I just I don't want to attach myself to a label that opens me up to the kinds of attacks and cancellation that feminists in the left do where it's like, oh, well, if you're a feminist, you have to vote Democrat. If you're a feminist, you can't listen to these people's ideas. If you're a feminist, you can't question this woman's narrative. You know, believe women, believe women, believe women. No due process. I didn't like that. Um, I I just felt like I was being trapped in this box that I didn't want to be in. I wanted to come to my own conclusions And I wanted to I want to learn. I feel like these people are really anti-learning, like they don't want to hear new ideas. They don't want to know if their beliefs are wrong. Um, They they just they just want to put their blinders on and keep on keeping on. And that's not what I want to do. And I've changed my mind about all sorts of things since, you know, from climate change response, you know, environmentalism to a lot of a lot of feminist ideology I didn't like all the jargon I didn't like this like you know we were saying like smash patriarchy smash capitalism at a certain point I was like what does that even mean like you (laughs) want to smash capitalism and then what and then what communism like that's always worked out so well
0: (laughs) yeah like your your quote in the in the philosophy journal last quarter which I found a compelling paper that you wrote uh, you talked about the liberating women from the patriarchy and male violence against women. Uh, I, I could have come up with something better, but uh, you also recognize that your belief then was naive. You also write this, I, this, I find this interesting. Uh, this is a recent uh, thing that you wrote. I rejected gender norms and embraced feminism at a young age, which all, which was all fine and good. But that extended into the idea that we all nurture and know nature that we're all nurturing no nature. I thought we could all reject human nature and socialize ourselves any way, any which way, but I was wrong. And you also write, trying to be, quote, like men is in many ways to our own own detriment. I certainly support rejecting traditional gender roles, but trying to politic our way out of human nature is a losing battle and an unhelpful delusion. And so I think a lot of this has happened in the feminist movement has been with this gender ideology with you know starting with with john money putting nurture over nature and he felt like uh it's just uh we learn femininity and masculinity just by the environment we grow in and then we have uh judith butler's uh gender performance and which has taken hostage the entire university system and i think a lot of the feminists and you included probably early on uh, believed a lot of those types of ideologies of separating uh, and making a gender separate from biological sex, which we can all say, yeah, there's feminine males and masculine females like you yourself or a tomboy. But the, the woke left has taken it to the far extreme where there is no separation. A biological reality doesn't matter whatsoever. And it's all what's in your mind. And I think in certain levels, you've departed from that and you're indicating that you're not on board with that entire worldview. So I, I was wondering if maybe you can comment in your experience. You're obviously very knowledgeable about this uh, uh ideology. Like where you where do you land on the idea of gender being a social construct versus a, a biological reality?
1: Well, I think that there are clear patterns. I mean one of the things that I was frustrated about or I've become frustrated about, I I should say in recent years is the feminist rejection of evolutionary biology and evolutionary psychology because there are reasons that we behave in the ways that we behave that are connected to thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years of evolution and that doesn't mean we have to be a certain way you know i'm not saying like if you're a man, I don't think you should have to behave in masculine ways. If you're a woman, you don't have to behave or dress in feminine ways. Like, so I, but I think it's this idea, and I held this idea for many years because I learned this through women's studies and through feminism, which is sort of that everything we do, all of our behaviors, all of our desires, everything that we want is socialized, and therefore we can kind of socialize our way out of it. Um, you know, men don't need to behave like men. They can they can stop being violent. They can stop being aggressive. They can, um, you know, control their libidos, things like that. And I'm not saying that people shouldn't try to change. They should. I mean, toxic, violent, dangerous behaviors should be regulated, of course. But the truth is that men are inherently more violent than women. <laughs> and they do, you know, have different relationships to sex than women do. And one of the things that I was writing about in that article that you referenced was this idea that women can just have sex like men. You know, this was a supposedly really empowering idea that came out during the late 90s, I would say, and the aughts. Um which is that, you know, women can and should just have casual sex. They don't need to get attached. You know, they don't need commitment and sleeping around and casual sex could be really empowering for women. And I just don't think that's true. And again, I'm not saying you shouldn't do it if you don't want to do it. I mean, do what you want to do, but be aware that this isn't going to be a satisfying, fulfilling path for you as a woman. Um, It is Easier for men to have casual sex. There's less repercussions, there's less dangers, and it's more sexually satisfying. Uh, most women are not going to be having really great sexual experiences and having orgasms when they're going home with some guy they just met at the bar. It just doesn't happen. And women are built to get attached. <laughs> you know, that might sound like a sexist idea to feminism, but, you know, women do get emotionally attached and I spent a lot of years sort of pretending that wasn't true and trying to fight it until at a certain point I was like why am I pretending that I don't want commitment and why am I pretending that what I want is just casual sex it's not true and it's not making me happy these aren't fulfilling experiences um you can have fun but you know it, women 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 are built to to become attached to the men that they're sleeping with there's all sorts of chemical reasons for that and again evolutionary reasons for that and we aren't built the same
0: you're just starting you're you're a young woman incredibly articulate and talented you're seeing you, you have these gifts and so i'm putting out to you a challenge of sorts and maybe you've thought about this forget third way, fourth wave feminism, some kind of feminism, maybe even getting the, rid of the word feminism, something of empowering females, but also not at the destruction of this suppressor oppressed dialectic of tearing down the patriarchy, tearing down men. How, how do we together uh, make all of us stronger and our society stronger? And is there like other feminist women that have got the battle scars that you have, that you have a dream and a vision of what society can look like and how can you provide your experiences to be a resource of some kind of movement or some something that's liberating for women and empowering to men too, where together everybody benefits, not just one at the expense of the other and this dialectical tearing down and the destruction, but how do we really latch on to something that's good and positive and wholesome and strong and empowers both of us together. what's stirring in your heart for your future, you know, your next five, 10 years, something that really gets you going. I I know you love speaking your truth and telling the truth and calling things out and you you do great at that. But like long-term, where do you see yourself and and what would you really like your life to look like in 10 years?
1: I mean, honestly, I love my life. Like everything that I've went through, um, everything that I've gone through, I'm grateful for in a lot of ways. I'm not a big regrets person because Beautiful. i think that you learn from your mistakes and those are really powerful important lessons so everything that i've been through is valuable to me and it's made me a really strong person and um i do feel resilient in so many ways you know i feel even more empowered to speak my mind and tell the truth and to make mistakes and to change my mind if need be um Again, I don't love ideology, and I don't love ideological movements. Um, i mm. the The first wave feminists, you know, the suffragettes, as they're called, that wasn't about ideology, that was about fighting for women's rights, and they fought really hard, and those women were really brave, and what they won has benefited every single woman alive today in the world. And yet, of course, third wave feminism treats treats it all as nothing and calls them, you know, white women and calls them racist and all this nonsense. But I think that what what we need to be fighting for is truth and authenticity and respect and genuine empowerment. And while a lot of the difficulties that people experience in life do come from things like poverty um, and class um and you know having you know endured abuse and violence and things like that i also think that it's really empowering to learn that you can take control of your life and that you can become a really confident person you know women young women especially are are constantly seeking so-called empowerment and trying to build up their confidence and trying to like themselves and they're doing it in all the wrong ways you know they're doing it in all Mm. these superficial ways by you know trying to objectify themselves and put like sexy porny photos on the internet or sending nudes to strange guys on dating apps and all this stuff that is never going to make them feel better about themselves i mean the things that make you feel good about yourself and make you feel proud of yourself and make you like yourself and turn you into a competent person are you know doing hard things doing things that you're scared of becoming good at something you know developing skills whether that's like i don't know playing a musical instrument (laughs) through your work um doing volunteering you know being part of a community um helping others uh working out learning martial arts like those kinds of playing a sport there's so many things that you can do to make yourself feel good about yourself and like yourself and make you feel like bring bring meaning to your life that the younger generations you know men young men to have, have the same struggle i think um and and they're they're being given all the wrong answers like you're a victim you need pills you know you need pharmaceuticals you need adderall like you need antidepressants like everybody's mean to you like why doesn't why won't these girls date you why can't you get this man why can't you get all these things you want where's all your money like take control of your life like I don't even have that much, like I grew up working class, I don't own anything. I do not have money, <laughs> you know like I'm making a living doing what I do, and I've chosen this life intentionally, so I'm choosing not to be wealthy because I love my work and because I want to be free to speak my mind um but I live small, you know and I, people people complain about not having enough constantly and like they're missing the whole point <laughs> i mean i,
0: I want to confirm what you're saying because i think that's something extremely attractive from a male perspective about a woman who is confident and is disciplined and is going forward and is doesn't have a v is victim tattooed on their forehead that they really have a purpose in life that, that that they're going for for their dreams and and they're capable and there, there's something really uh Really attractive about that from a male perspective, and what we're putting in our education system is a bunch of whiners that are—they're just tearing down the patriarchy, tell uh, grievances about this and you know this abuse and this oppression, and and we're going to be social justice warriors. And I'm saying I don't think that really attracts men. So I think it's, this whole thing of this wokeness and this leftist social justice critical, the critical social justice mindset, isn't good for. People's relationships. And we see the studies that young people are having less and less sex. Teenagers aren't having sex together. And I'm not encouraging premarital sex by any means, but this whole idea where people are not connecting and the natural biology of male and females, birth rates are imploding. And I think a lot of young men are terrified uh, because of this whole movement of like consent and sexuality, you need almost a contract. And uh, if you do something wrong, you're going to be called out and humiliated and it's just so unnatural I think and I think it's it's almost terrifying for a young person to pursue what it means to have a an intimate relationship um uh, uh with the other sex you know and I don't know if you had any thoughts on that but that's those are some of the things I'm feeling
1: well I mean and it, it goes both ways I mean I find that kind of like elitist progressive man who's supposedly anti-masculinity but is like this bitter you know like pay attention to me but i don't have to offer anything to you person very attractive i mean when i was living in vancouver and i decided that i was going to come here and then eventually decided i didn't want to go back you know i had already been like i'm never dating a man from vancouver again i don't want to date canadian men and you know being around men from different places and different cultures who are not enmeshed in that hyper woke religion are so much more real and so much more attractive. And I don't want to say, you know, feminism, first and second wave feminism, in any case, has been has been positive for women and good for relationships in a lot of ways, you know, like I'm not the type of woman who's ever going to be confined to the house or confined to the kitchen. Like I'm very independent and I'm going to do what I want to do, but I'm also, you know, like I'm quite like a dominant person and quite like an alpha in a lot of ways. So I can't, I don't want to be around a weak man. Like I can't be around a man who's going to be a pushover and I still want a man to, to be protective. Um, Men are built to be protectors, like this rejection of the idea that men are stronger than women and that men should protect the more vulnerable and labeling that as somehow toxic is toxic. That's you right. know, men That's- have a role and they need a role in society. They need to feel productive. They need to fe- feel like they're taking care of their families or taking care of other people. And so much of that has been taken away from them. Um, and I think it's been really destructive because now we have all these young men who don't know what to do them with themselves so are spending all their time at home looking at pornography or on the internet or swiping through dating apps and then are depressed so they're on all these uh, like pharmaceuticals that are impacting their libidos like it's all so unhealthy what I mean what people in general what young people in general should be doing and this is what I say all the time is to be getting out into the world like get off the internet get off your phone get off these dating apps this is giving you a completely warped idea of what real people are like in real life go out in the world, talk to people, you know, travel if you can in any way. I've managed to travel a bit like, and again, I don't have any money. Mostly it's been through work or through other means. Um, But it's, you know, the, the woke religion teaches people that everybody believes this. Everybody believes that trans women are women. Everybody believes in these nonsense, that everybody's a racist. You know, all white people are inherently racist. You're a racist. Maybe you don't know it, but you are. Um, They teach people to be victims. They teach people that they shouldn't have uncomfortable experiences or disagreements and that if they do disagree with somebody, they should never talk to them again. They should cut them out of their lives. Like it's a super divisive ideology that I think has created a war among people instead of bringing people together and creating something positive. It's taught people that they're at war with another. Like Americans think that that they're at war with each other.
0: (laughs) And And meanwhile,
1: the elite are getting away with all sorts of crap.
0: And they stoke it.
1: (laughs) Yeah yeah
0: well, well megan i I really admire you and i thank you for coming on the show today i want to give you the last word of exhortation anything you're feeling you'd like to that you've left out I'd like you to share and also share how people can get a hold of you uh i really really respect you and I, I I want to follow you to see like what your life becomes in the next five to ten years because I think you're you've made a tremendous impact you've been through the battle you're making a continue a, a continuous impact and I think you're you, God has great things for you and it's gonna be really fun to watch and and say, hey, she was on my show one time, and and uh, it's gonna be an honor to watch uh, wh- where your life takes you. So why don't you give us the last word and let us know how people can get a hold of you?
1: Well, thank you so much for your kind words. I appreciate it, um, and thank you for your support. Uh, I am on Twitter. I'm back on Twitter thanks to Elon at uh, Megan E Murphy. I'm on Instagram at Megan Emily Murphy. My um podcast is called The Same Drugs. I'm on Substack also at Megan Murphy or The Same Drugs. That's where most of my writing and podcasting is. My website is feministcurrent.com. Um, and I mean, I just I want people to know that I talk to a lot of people and I hear from a lot of people who feel isolated and alone and are like, I I hate all this, but I feel like I can't say anything. I don't want to be ostracized I don't want all my friends to hate me there's no one else where I live who thinks like me I don't know what to do and I just want people to know that there are people that don't think like the woke mob and that if you do speak out and you do say what you think and you do question these ideas that you're not supposed to question it it can be really hard it's really hard Mm. to lose friends it's really hard to lose family members it's really hard to be ostracized but it also will be okay. You know, you'll make new friends. You will, I promise. And you'll get through it and it'll be okay. And you'll feel better and you'll like yourself more and you'll become a stronger, more resilient person because you, you said your truth and you were authentic and you have integrity and you went through something hard and came out the other end. I mean, this is, I, you have to be able to live with yourself at the end of the day. And I don't think you can really do that if you're lying and you're not being true to yourself and you're going along with ideas and, and policies and ideologies that are wrong or that are really harmful. Um, and, you know, again, not everywhere in the world is woke, like just because you're from Seattle or Vancouver or San Francisco or Portland, it may feel like that. But most people in the world don't buy into this stuff. And, and you'll find that out if you, if you leave those worlds and and talk to different kinds of people.
0: Oh, that's so wonderful. And that really underscores what most of our guests say, take, take the courage and step out, speak the truth. And just, you're going to feel better about yourself. You'll make new friends and uh, you'll, you'll have an impact. And you're absolutely right. You go over, you know, it's a Western, uh, English speaking metropolitan center, semi elite people, highly educated and, uh, that's where this is all coming from. And so I, I I do thank you again for coming on the show. You take care.
1: Thank you so much for having me on. You take care too. Okay. Bye-bye.